The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Today we continue our series of... uh... Meditations and Reflections on God's Word brought to us by soon-to-graduate seniors. And today, Taylor Kern will be opening God's Word to us. Taylor, welcome. Thank you. It's a wonderful privilege and honor to be with you this morning and to share God's Word with you. Open it up and hear from God's divine instruction for us. So turn with me, please, to Psalm 42. And Psalm 43, together they truly form one psalm, and we'll be reading and meditating on God's word from Psalm 42 this morning. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God! For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's go to our God in prayer. O Holy Spirit, we ask indeed that you would send out your light and your truth as we open your word this morning. Uh, Let them lead us both now and day by day. By your light, lift us from dark despair. 
and by your truth, remind us that we are in the firm hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Work on us even now through your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book titled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. In it, he claims that a depressed Christian is actually a contradiction of terms. And by that, he means that a Christian really has no reason or cause to walk around with their heads down, depressed, because we carry with us the greatest comfort in life and in death, namely free justification by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. There is no reason for us to be depressed. And so a depressed Christian is a contradiction in terms. Yet, the doctor recognizes that the majority of Christians confront periods of spiritual darkness when joy seems impossibly far away. This may be caused by besetting sin or the challenges of spiritual warfare, some difficult circumstance in life. He also shows how many of the great men and women of the Christian faith throughout the centuries have fought some kind of spiritual depression. For example, the reformer Martin Luther or the prince of preachers Charles Spurgeon and even King David himself who wrote more songs of lament and grief than he did of songs of praise. Everyone under the sun suffers some kind of spiritual depression because we live in this sinfully broken world. And many can resonate, therefore, with John Bunyan's great illustration in Pilgrim's Progress of the protagonist, Christian, as he's held captive by giant despair in his dungeon. In Christian, he, he describes his experience to his brother, Hopeful, in this way. He says, Brother, what shall we do? The life that we now live is miserable. For my part, I know not whether tis best to live thus or to die out of hand. My soul chooseth strangling rather than life, and the grave is more easy for me than this dungeon. Shall we be ruled by this giant? Well, brothers and sisters, I chose this psalm for our consideration this morning because as you enter into the ministry after graduation, I assure you that times will come when giant despair will find you and he will indeed lock you into that dungeon. You'll preach a lousy sermon, and you'll sink into the Monday morning blues. Or you'll preach a great sermon, and instead of getting praise on the way out, someone will stop you and be nitpicky about that one little point that you messed up on. You'll be assailed by the harsh critiques of your ministry from any enemies outside of the church, and even worse, from close friends within it. You know, the most committed members will randomly get up and leave your congregation and you'll take it personally. In the pulpit, you'll feel hypocritical. You'll have to do funerals for people that are younger than you in your congregation. And like the Apostle Paul, you'll probably ask yourself over and over again whether or not all of your labor is in vain. And as these challenges come, they will in a sense be like massive steel bars locking you in to the dungeon of giant despair. And the question is whether or not you will be able to find your way out and into lasting joy. And fortunately for us, Psalm 42 and 43 records for us the experience of the psalmist for our instruction. 
which is probably what the word in Hebrew maskil means in the beginning there, instruction. So this is God's instruction for depressed Christians to the end that we would no longer be ruled by giant despair. And the main point is this, that despite the darkest days, the living God has promised to be your God and your salvation. And he has proven this by sending his own son for you, your savior. So as we sit this morning at the feet of the psalmist, hear first from his instruction, the story of his situation, then his strategy, and lastly, his savior. So first, his situation. The psalmist here is expressing his feelings with poetry. You know, when raging emotions within uh, cannot be uh, justly explained with propositions and prose, poetry can be elusive enough to connect with the pain that we're feeling. In verse 1 through 2, he compares himself to a deer on the run, dying of thirst. And in his sorrow, he recognizes what his greatest need is, the gracious presence of God. He says, so pants my soul for you, O God. This is more than just a desire for doctrinal understanding of God. This is so much more. He's longing for a satisfying experience of God's presence. Brothers, I expect to, to find yourselves in times of great thirst for God in the ministry. Times when he feels distant and cold because of your sin, challenges in the ministry, or just normal life itself. In these times, you'll be tempted to quench that thirst by drinking from poisoned wells, quick fixes like alcohol, pornography, or binging on a favorite television show. I don't know what that quick fix might be for you, but I think you know what you're tempted toward, what you're prone towards. You know, why do we fall into such traps like these? Instead of facing the pain and darkness, we try to avoid it with distractions, don't we? You know, poison waters like alcohol, work to disconnect us from reality by decreasing, literally decreasing, our brain's ability to think and connect with the pain. These are quick fixes to the Monday morning blues. But these distractions can't keep that dark fog from returning ultimately, and they cannot quench the deep thirst within Instead, they turn us away from reality and actually down into deeper and darker crevices of the dungeon of despair. Unlike idolatrous distractions, the Holy Spirit strengthens us to confront our sorrow and misery with boldness and hope. Intoxication with the Holy Spirit through prayerful reading of God's word redirects us to the one who can truly satisfy our longing desires. Remember the, the story of St. Augustine, who in his younger years uh, chased after many poisoned waters. He, he sat at the wells of many poisoned wells. And yet, when he finally drank of God's fountain of grace, he prayed, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. In verse 2, the psalmist explains that he thirsts for the living God. Now, why does he add this description, the living God? This title is used throughout the Bible to show that he works in human history for his people. This is no imaginary God or idol made of 
wood or stone. He doesn't want any kind of weak distraction from his sorrow. Rather, he longs for the living God who over and over again has proven his existence by displaying his power and his might to save his people. He wants to encounter the very same God who saved Israel on dry ground through the Red Sea. So when you feel dead and lifeless, remember that you are especially in need of this living God who alone can replenish your life. But, of course, he doesn't always work in extraordinary ways like the Exodus, does he? Even the psalmist himself, as he's writing this psalm in the dark walls of the dungeon, he's not seeing the extraordinary grace of God brightly shining before his eyes. And I assure you that that will be the case for you as well in the ministry. You will cry out with him to God, bring me back to your holy hill and to your dwelling, O God. For the psalmist, this probably meant that he was far away from Jerusalem and the temple of God and the community of the faithful. He was all alone, either exiled or fleeing from his adversaries who are nagging him all the day, saying, where is your God? Where is your God? Distance from the house of God made him distraught because, of course, during the Mosaic economy, God's gracious presence was found in the temple at Mount Zion. Israel prayed in that direction to the temple. They traveled to Jerusalem for those festivals to offer sacrifices and praise to God. It was a very special and holy place. But it wasn't ideal for the Israelites because if you found yourself in the grips of despair like the psalmist, thirsty for God, what would you have to do? You'd have to travel all the way to Jerusalem, which is why the psalmist asked himself in verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? Here he's not talking about a mystical one-on-one experience with God, but rather meeting the living God with the people of God in public worship. He says in verse 4 that he pours out his soul in sadness when he remembers the blessing of being a public uh, a leader of public worship at the temple. He says, How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Unlike uh, Eastern religions, it stressed the importance of the individual's retreat into self to try and find fulfillment, we are reminded here that it is not good for man to be alone. We are relational creatures. We need each other, and most of all, we need our living God. And from the little I have experienced in ministry, at, uh, especially at Ontario, URC's Spanish ministry there, and from what I've heard from others, uh, loneliness and solitude will be very great dangers for us. They are key ingredients for the recipes of sorrow and sin in the ministry. So brothers, as future worship leaders, much like the psalmist, grow to love and cherish the fellowship of saints around the means of grace because you need them and they need you. Know also that your situation is better than the psalmist. You don't have to pilgrimage all the way to some holy land to hear from your God and receive his grace, do you? Every time we meet in the name of Jesus, God is powerfully among us to lead us out of the dungeon of Doubting Castle. So when you are depressed, don't neglect the hospital for your soul. 
the church where God's grace and presence is found. In the dead and lifeless times, remember to seek the salvation of God's countenance, his face. Now that, sound, that sounds easy enough, but sadly, sadly, the sense of direction is extremely hard to find because of the very nature of depression, which is why we need to hear the psalmist's strategy as well. We need a strategy to deal with our souls because depression often drains us of life and blocks our ability to think rightly. Life's joys lose their flavor, which is why the psalmist says here, my tears have been my food day and night. And even more dangerous is the fact that depression affects our thoughts greatly. I think the psalmist is describing his thoughts poetically in verse 7 when he says, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. Now the word here for deep in Hebrew is the same used in the beginning of creation in Genesis for the deep chaotic waters. The psalmist feels like he's drowning in the sorrows of these chaotic sorrows of his. And notice too that when the deep calls to deep, this is not a whisper. This is a roar. It's like the loud roar of God's waterfalls. I've been to the Niagara Falls and other waterfalls, but especially in the Niagara Falls, if you get very close, it's like this deafening thunder of sound that's just constantly bellowing before you. So much so that I think the psalmist is saying that his sorrows are so loud that he can't even hear himself think. When you get trapped by giant despair, he will fill your mind with loud thoughts of doubt anger, and despair. Martin Lloyd-Jones, therefore, says that our great problem is that we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. We often don't think intentionally. We're mainly passive thinkers. For example, when we wake up in the morning, immediately our minds are filled with thoughts. Not, that, not thoughts that you are intentionally thinking, but it just immediately fills with thoughts. It's like a nonstop radio broadcast that's going on in your mind. And that's bad news uh, because if you're anything like me, your thoughts are filled with complaints, doubts, anger, narcissism, and critiques of others, right? It's not a good radio broadcast. And trust me, these, these thoughts, this broadcast will even get more severe during times of depression, so with this, pro- this problem, the psalmist employs his strategy. What does he do? Look at verse 5, 8, and 11, where he takes his soul in hand and he talks to it. In verse 5, he tells himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, his strategy here is stop listening to your own thoughts Take your soul in hand, as it were, and speak to it, remind it of God's promises for you in Christ. Turn off those, that rambling broadcast of your thoughts and tune in to the gospel of grace. Now, I agree with our professors that, uh, that we need to hear the gospel primarily from somebody outside of us, of course. I'm not telling you to become self-feeders. But the psalmist's instruction here is is clear. There will be times, like those Monday morning blues, when you're all alone. In those times, you must exhort your soul 
with the gospel and God's promises. While imprisoned in his doubts and and his misery, Bunyan's Christian is upheld and sustained by the counsel of his companion, Hopeful, his friend who's outside of himself, right? But in the end, he does not escape the dungeon until he employs this very strategy of the psalmist. Bunyan describes the moment of his escape in this way. Good Christian, as one half amazed, break out in passionate speech. What a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon, when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said Hopeful, that's good news, brother. Pluck it out of thy bosom and try. So unless you plan on joining a monastery or a commune, which is probably very unlikely for Westminster grads, I assure you, lonely days will come. So for those rare days when you can't call a brother quickly to your side to preach the gospel, learn to pluck out the promises of God and try them on every locked door of your heart. To be clear, this is not a call to save yourself. Look at the psalmist's own exhortation. He says to his soul, hope in God. Hope here means patiently expect that God will act according to his promises for you. In the heart of the the Psalms 42 and 43 is verse 8, with these astounding words of comfort that he's meditating on. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Here, uh, the word for steadfast love is, of course, uh, the Hebrew word chesed, which refers to God's covenantal faithfulness. This is no bootstrap salvation here. He is only able to fight his, this darkness because he knows the God of the covenant of grace is always faithful to his promises. He confidently expects that he will again praise God with joy and gladness because his soul is embracing God's promises. Matthew Henry says of this verse, when the soul embraces itself, it sinks. But if it catch hold of the power and promise of God, its head, it keeps its head above water. This, friends, is the strategy of the psalmist in the midst of his sorrowful situation. So lastly, listen for the psalmist savior who is, of course, the man of sorrows. The psalmist throughout is not very victorious in this psalm. His prayer in verse 9 shows that the battle is not easily won. In frustration, he asks God again, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Again, brothers, expect difficult times in the ministry and also expect that you will not conquer them easily. Life is full of victories and defeats. and No battle is easily won. There's always a challenge. There's always a fight. That's why we see the psalmist even battling right to the very end of Psalm 43. In the last line, again, he says to his soul, Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. However, even in his misery, there's a sign of hope here. The Hebrew literally says the salvation of my face and my God. Salvation of my face and my God. Amazingly, the image of the psalmist's cast down face is poetically recast 
in this way with a sign of hope that God will renew his face and lift his face up, which is symbolic of his life. So brothers, know that this is your hope as well in the midst of many disappointments to come in the gospel ministry. But why? How can you be sure that this is so? You can be sure because you can be sure that God will lift up your face because Christ Jesus set his face to Jerusalem for you. The man of sorrows set his face to the cross to bear your griefs and to carry your burdens. This is the one who in the garden of Gethsemane before his death said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Then going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Brothers, God's face is your salvation because the father turned his face away from his only begotten son. And then on the cross, as his adversaries were saying to him, where is your God now? Where is your God now? He fully drowned under the waves and breakers of God's fierce wrath, carrying our sin, your sin. The son heard the deep call to deep at the roar of his father's waterfalls. And moments before he said, it is finished, Jesus fulfilled scripture by saying, I thirst, I thirst. This was more than mere physical thirst, I think. In total isolation, in total solitude, forsaken of God, he thirsted once again for his father's loving presence. On that day, he suffered the worst sadness that any man has ever felt. So as we close, above all, remember the man of sorrows. Know that Jesus set his face to the cross for you in order to give you light and hope in this dark world. And to all of you future depressed and lonely pastors, know that Jesus can sympathize with you in your weaknesses. Learn from the psalmist to take your soul in hand and remind it of the promises of God to you, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Let Christ, the true singer of this psalm, lead you out of the giant dungeon of despair and to God who has become your exceeding joy. And when you thirst for God, hear him who died of thirst say to you, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. To close, one of my favorite hymns is Be Still My Soul. Be Still My Soul. And like Psalm 42, it helps us as we sing it, take our soul in hand to preach the gospel in a sense, to remind us of God's promises. And I love the last stanza that ends on a joyful note, the joyful note of our great hope in Christ even beyond the grave when together we will praise our God and our salvation. It says, be still my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow for God. Love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we indeed thank you for this psalm that 
instructs us and especially points us to Christ, the man of sorrows. We look to him. We are hopeless without him. And yet in him, all of your promises are yes and amen. Strengthen us and prepare us for whatever comes in the future. For we depend upon you, Father, and your Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.